Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, episode 129 of the show, believe it or not. My name's Adrian Hobart. My name's Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Suspense. Mystery. Thrillers. And crime. Welcome to the show. Well, we're recording this, in fact. We have a thunderstorm going on outside, so you may get the odd rumble of thunder. If I suddenly disappear... Hmm. Like I did once on the podcast when we recorded outside. (laughs) Um, It's because I don't like thunder very much. No, so let's just categorise things you don't like very much that make you run. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Thunder and lightning. Yes. People driving either souped up cars or motorbikes. Yes. uh, A.K.A. noisy Noisy boys. boys. Uh, Anything else that would make you run? Fireworks. Balloons. Um... (laughs) Oh, low-flying army aircraft. Okay, so we basically have Rebecca's top five phobias. <laughs> oh, gosh, vomiting. Um... <laughs> oh, I wish I had not gone down this route. I've got so many fears, honestly. Anything that explodes, so anything that makes a sudden noise, even just loud buses and things. And you know when buses, they take the, they, they press the brakes or something, and mm. it goes, Psh! I hate that too. Yeah, the compressed air. Oh, I hate brakes. it. Oh, I, I, when you say <laughs> when you said things that make a sudden noise, I was thinking of the human compressed air that sometimes emerges. Oh, that's just you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's been one of those weeks for me like that. Anyway, welcome to the show. We ought to mention who our guest is, and it is brilliant. Uh, Guy Hale is joining us on the show now. Guy is an author of three crime novels to date, with more to come. A new series set in Stratford upon Avon which I'm looking forward to narrating because he's offered me the chance to do that when it's ready. But previously, he's been drawing on his experience as a record company owner. He's done loads of stuff. Oh, he's just the most amazing portfolio career ever. Very successful businessman, but now focusing on passion projects. And he's doing a brilliant job because I see him everywhere and in a good way as well. You know, he sort of he posts on social media, he joins in conversations he doesn't just talk about his books. He does talk about his books a little bit, but he's doing all the right things as far as I'm concerned. As Absolutely. Well, this is a really energetic interview and uh, you know, Guy's passion for blues music comes through. And indeed, he sent us some, some of uh, his company's he work. Um, and we got his books as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a really good interview. So I look forward to speaking to Guy a little bit later. We get into the news first, though. It's tradition dictates on this show. And we'll start with the announcement of the winners. Of this year's CWA Daggers, the Dagger Awards offered by the Crime Writers Association. Now, 
Last year, I went to the dinner. You did, lucky you. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. So I went, <laughs> it was incredibly hot there. I know, you, you did struggle in that respect. I knew, yeah, I, it was it was so hot that my Apple Watch sometimes tells me when I'm in close to death or my heart is going too fast, and it was going like the clappers because of the heat. Yes. Uh, it was quite extraordinary because it said, you know, you've been not moving at all so why is your heart rate at so whatever it was 140 you're, you're telling me at the cwa daggers dinner you had a near-death experience yeah. it wasn't murder well strangely enough yeah well look this year's winner of the big one which is the gold dagger oh went to george Dawes green for the kingdoms of savannah which uh, is a fantastic achievement it's published by headline and uh, it's uh ex- you know, a great return for him because it's been some years since he wrote the book, actually. Mm. So uh, uh, judges praised Dawes Green's intricately constructed novel as a timeless fable. They said a masterpiece of southern gothic noir. Oh, yes, I like anything noir And it's a sprawling mystery exploring class and power structures after a brutal murder. William Shaw, friend of the programme, co-vice <laughs> chair of the CWA, said after a 14-year hiatus, 14 years between books. Oh, he's like Donna Tart then. Wow. George Dawes Green's triumphant return with the Kingdoms of Savannah is a bravuric demonstration of the extraordinary power of crime fiction. Peopled with vividly drawn characters from every southern walk of life, this compelling mystery achieves something remarkable in peeling back the skin of Georgia's troubled history to expose a society whose opulence was always built on something very dark. I didn't realise you meant Southern America. I was thinking, like, Brighton or something. No, no, no. no. And I think I'm right in saying last year's win, it was also based in America. And then you think about the Theakstons when Chris Whitaker won it. That was oh, that was a US-based book written by a Brit. But... Yeah, such a good book, I have to say. So there is a theme emerging here. You want to win a prize, set your book in America. <laughs> uh, or take 14 years between books yeah maybe. could be could be okay so uh, what else was awarded well the uh let me see the ian fleming steel dagger yes who got went that? to john brownlow for agent 17 oh i reckon i could picture the cover yes i yeah, think okay. i know that one i don't know much about it but i, I there must have been a uh, well i could picture it well it's a debut <laughs> it's a debut thriller from british canadian screenwriter centers on an elite hitman who must remain one step ahead of his many rivals if he wants to stay alive. It was praised by the judges as a deceptively layered blockbuster thriller. The John Creasy New Ooh. Blood Dagger, which we once we, yes. had a nomination with last year we Waking did, the Tiger. We? Yep, so that's why I was there last year. Uh, this went to Haley Scrivener for mm-hmm. Dirt Town, published by Macmillan, and it was praised by the CWA judges as a haunting mystery. And... Uh, in fact, it was John Creasy's son, Richard Creasy, who presented the award this year. Oh, that's, that's quite sweet. <laughs> yeah. The historical dagger went to D.V. Bishop for The Darkest Sin, also published by Macmillan, so big, big night for them. Yeah. Set in Renaissance Florence. The Darkest Sin is an atmospheric historical thriller that the judges praised as well-researched and gripping to the end. Yes, historic is quite a, a tough one, isn't it? Because you you have to be really well researched to be in for these sort of prizes, don't you? That's a lot of work. Yes, yeah. Especially absolutely. Renaissance, Florence. Well, there were a few other. Um, the, the debut dagger went to Jeff Marsick for Sideways, which was about a 26-year-old army veteran, Gage, suffering from PTSD. 
Which actually, do you know what? I mean, that's a theme that we've had quite a few submissions yeah. of PTSD. And, Interesting. Yeah, okay. Well, well congratulations gets, to all the winners. He might get a book deal now because that's, a, that's the, um, the one of people who aren't with a publisher, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's wonderful. So congratulations to all the winners. Um, interesting to note that this year's ceremony had a change of presenter. Oh, I wonder why. Hmm. Mm. Well, uh, it was Victoria Selman as of last year as well. Yes. And normally it is Barry know. Forshaw who does it. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Right, so it went to Imran Mahmoud. Okay, okay. Who who presented it with Victoria this year? Oh, interesting, but we, we're not going to analyse that. No. Are we? Okay, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Just refer you back to Crime Fest. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people are buying tickets already for next year's Crime Fest. I saw one of our um, heart members. She'd bought tickets for Crime Fest, and I thought, crikey, we'll never be that organised. No. Uh, let's talk about. <laughs> I, I want to do some personal news in between times, actually, if I may. Oh, you have some. Yeah, we're going to talk about libraries in a second. But yes, I want to celebrate the success of my son, Ben, who has got his degree mark Yay. from Loughborough. And he got 2 1 in sports management. And uh, I'm very proud of him. He's, he's well done, really ben. worked extremely hard. So you're, he's, he's going to be donning the cap and gown, is he? Yeah, that's next, next week. Next week, yes. It's a busy week next week. It's a busy week this week. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all jittery about this. I mean, this this week, next week, it's just bonkers. It's because it always is, isn't it? The end of an academic year, whether you've got children in school, university, oh, or whatever. Yes, we've got loads of those things to go we've to. Got, we've got the theatre next week. Oh, yeah. um Josh, my middle son, is in um, Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Return to the Forbidden Planet. <laughs> I'll get it right. He'll kill me if I don't. Um, I've also got Toby passing out, which doesn't sound pleasant, but it's men boys marching with guns and things yes he's in the combined cadet force the ccf and we've also got the art show josh who did a a level art not a level sorry as level art has got um end of year art this show. is the sort of stuff we usually put at the end of the program but anyway, I know. Yeah. anyway we, uh, let's go back to news then yeah, let's go back to the news <laughs> right libraries two stories about libraries in the uk that i wanted to touch on and some research from an outfit called libraries connected has found out that a typical library provides one million pounds worth of social benefits per year. How do they measure that? Well, the analysis by economists from the United... Sorry, the University of East Anglia, UEA, conducted for the Libraries for Living and for Living Better report, funded by library services in the east of England, uh, got 30 grand of contribution from the Arts Council, found through extensive library visits, user interviews and statistical analysis that a branch library typically provides £1 million in value annually. Then they extrapolated the findings to find that all of England's 3,000 libraries, surprised there are that many left, given a national total of £3.4 billion per year of value annually. Using Chartered Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy spending data for the year 2021 to 22, this, the authors contend, represents a return on investment of at least six times cost. Right. Well, that's, that's a positive. It's really positive. Yeah. We'll put that in your, you know, local authorities who are starved of cash anyway. We understand why you're having to cut back on libraries, but yes, know. indeed. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a really important thing. Uh, this is what I surprised another story in the bookseller about libraries. And uh, when I discovered, and I mentioned it to you just now, the British Library, mm. that bastion of literary achievement, that treasure house <laughs> of great works. You talk about this house. <laughs> yeah. 
It's only 50 years old. Now, you see, I, I should know this because I know about libraries through my work on the Writers' Last Year book, but I didn't know it was only 50 years old. It's extraordinary. Yeah. So the, the library began operations on the 1st of July 1973 as a result of the British Library Act of 1972. Several existing organisations, including the British Museum Library, everyone remembers the Rotunda Reading Room. Yes, of course. Which yeah. is still there, mm. and it was a fantastic thing to look at. But, uh, yeah, so there was that. The National Central Library and the National Lending Library for Science and Technology were all brought together to become uh, the British okay. Library. And, of course, that's now in that modern building in St Pancras, next to St Pancras Station yes. on Houston Road. Uh, I haven't actually been inside yet, which is... A, I should slap myself because I go past it all the time. Among the estimated 170 million items... Including a number of Hobeck books. Yes. The library cares for our books, journals, newspapers, patents, maps, prints, manuscripts, stamps, photographs, six and a half million sound recordings, 11.3 million digital publications of all kinds, and over 20 billion pages of UK web content. Wow. And of course, uh, we get contacted on a weekly basis by the Legal Deposit Scheme, which asks for us to send copies of Hobeck books to the British Library and indeed the other copyright libraries yes, in the UK. Yes, so there's six in total Yeah, of these libraries and every copy of any book that's um, printed has to be sent. Uh, you send five to the British Library and they distribute and then you send one to um, a place in uh, Boston. Yeah. Lancashire. Well, there are going to be a series of pay-what-you-can events to celebrate the 50th anniversary. The programme will comprise online and in-person events in London and Yorkshire throughout July, including honouring Emily Bronte on the 20th of July and William Shakespeare on the 18th of July and a debate on the best writing for the last 50 years in which Monica Alley, Roger McGough and David Nichols will take part as part of Lit, Laugh, Love at the Library. I like that. Lit, laugh, love, library. And that is actually happening on Tuesday. Oh, right. My mum's birthday. Yeah. Well, happy birthday, British Library. And Grandma Bertie. And Grandma Bertie. <laughs> OK, I think we should wrap up the news where we are. Yeah, there's, I don't think there's anything else in the news. Uh, no, no. I'm going to talk about AI stuff after the news. Yeah, well, after, after the interview. After the interview, yeah, yeah. indeed, yeah. We ought to talk to um, Guy now. Yes, well, we're going to talk to Guy Hale, and Guy uh, is such a polymath, done all sorts of things. We're very successful in manufacturing, and that's the basis of the fortune. When he sold his business, he decided to set up a record company specialising in blues, which is uh, one of my favourite genres of music. Aki Cat Blues, which you play on the guitar? Uh, I might play the programme. No, I won't play the programme <laughs> with the Aki Cat Blues. I think the world doesn't need to hear me play the guitar. Um, not yet, anyway few more years before I become a blues master but uh, what a fascinating story I and mean, Guy has also written books uh, based around his experiences of working in America his murder mysteries set in the United States uh, around you know Nashville and Los Angeles and uh, this interview is it's just full of really interesting perspectives but not least his views on what authors no matter who they are whether they're traditionally published or independent the responsibility they have, in his view, to marketing themselves. And uh, it's it's fascinating. Let's talk to Guy Hale. It's absolutely delightful to speak to Guy Hale. Thanks for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. 
lovely to be here. Yeah, we've known we've been interacting yeah. for some time now, for some months, and uh, so it's great to get you on the show and, and to finally meet you properly. Well, I've been following the show for at least sixty episodes, and it's it's my Monday morning treat. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. Well, uh, we'll take all comers. Very glad to be your Monday morning treat. <laughs> yes, sounds vaguely sexual, that doesn't it? But we were just chatting before, when we like to have a little pre-chat, and just blown away by the number of things you've done in your life. Um, and writer is just the latest of them. So uh, take us through a few of these things that you, you, you've done with your, your life so far. Just, just the legal ones, yeah. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been a professional golfer. I've played um, most sports to a county level. Um, I've worked in real rubbish jobs, packing in factories. Uh, that's after I came off the golf tour, decided I wasn't quite good enough. Well, actually, no, the school board decided I wasn't quite good enough. Uh, I missed my European tour card two years in a row by a shot, which is nature's way of telling you, you're not quite there. Mm. Um, bit of travelling. I, I travelled the world for a couple of years, uh, surfing, um, just doing the old beach bum thing and enjoying finding waves and peace and solitude, and being a bit of a hippie. And then uh, I just spent 10 years... I had a, a wedding and a marriage that didn't really work for 10 years, but we, we had a go, it didn't work. But during that time, I started writing as a form of uh, catharsis, I suppose, for something that wasn't really working. And uh, got a little theatre company going. And do you remember the National Theatre of Brent? Desmond yes. Dingle. Well, me and my mate Andy, we used to go around the pubs and do three or four plays, what we wrote, um, like The Siege of Troy with a cast of two, Charge of the Light Brigade. Um, we always used to have a, a dirty, horrible cardigan and we'd give it to somebody who would then become Lord Cardigan. Uh, you know, silly stuff. Which yeah. one in general? We always found a witch, quite often a male witch. And just had a great time, really. Uh, a lot of it was uh, ad-libbing. And then I met the right person and we got together and we're still together. And we have a lovely son. And I realised I needed to get a proper job. <laughs> so I went into industry, became a director and then realised that I need to start my own company and I started my own company with my partner and it built up and up and up and uh, 148 employees and 20 years later and factories on two continents I thought it'd be lovely to go and be a writer now so I sold the business five years ago and uh, I did other stuff I was songwriting for three or four years I started a record label in, the, in Texas as you do and um, <laughs> then I just uh, started writing a couple of years ago and I'm on my fourth book now and loving it. So, no, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, what a sweep! I mean, your uh, CV must be about ten pages long. <laughs> yeah, but there's probably about eight pages you don't want anybody to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good life lived, isn't it? <laughs> and still, lots of life left to live. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm a lot older than you guys, so you know. Well, yeah, I mean, you're only as old as you feel, and it sounds like you've still got the energy to do all these things. Um, I am fascinated by someone who sets up a record label because, do you know what, that's one of those little dreams I have completed yeah. away. But I, I think I'll have a well, right, yeah, bring in the guitars. <laughs> oh, I see. Come and, come and spend a day with me. I'll cure you of that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, we have talked on the podcast, and you all have heard this. And I've made comparisons with the record industry uh, as it is at the moment and the independent publishing scene as well. Yeah. So you, you know exactly what I'm talking about here is yeah. that, you know, there's never been easier to get stuff out there, but it's yeah. never been harder to get it heard. Yes. Or read. That's what it's all about, isn't it? 
I mean, I spend most of my day trying to make sure my work gets seen or heard by as many people as possible. And you have to become a, a media poor, uh, really, don't you? Just on every level of me. I'm, I'm turning into Alan Partridge at the moment because <laughs> I, I've done seven BBC local radio stations in nine days. Aha. And uh, yeah, I was in, I was in Bristol yesterday um, afternoon to do a show there. But the BBC radio stations are a great, great way of reaching more people, you know. Um, mm. You just got to do it. I think that the, the easy part is writing the book. The hard part is getting people to know who you are and even know you exist. And that's why every author, forget just writing the book. You've got to go and market it afterwards, whether you're with a publishing house or not, because only that top 3% are going to get any budget whatsoever. The rest of it is up to you. And you have to understand that in this marketplace. It's a very yeah. bad point. And it's a very difficult point to, to make because a lot of authors listening to this and indeed signed to us and signed to other independent, any company, in fact, will be thinking that moment where publisher says, yes, you've made it. And then your dreams of, you know, the limousine picking up for the, for the book launch, <laughs> uh, all of that. Sort of, and, and, you know, it's, it's a, a gradual, what we've found in a way is a gradual realization, both in ourselves and indeed in the authors, that it's not like that. And I did. I think we did set off when we set up Hobeck with the expectation that we'd be as successful as the Mark Dawson's and L.J. Ross's of the world. Yeah. You know, L.J. Ross has just put something in the bookseller which says, you know, I'm only just getting started after 8 million sales. <laughs> and a nice gleaming picture of, you know... We should have one that says after 8 sales. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, again, you see... That's all about perception. She's putting a, a fantastic image out there, and that image will attract more people. Um, she's marketing herself. She may have made 8 million sales. Fantastic. Well done. But she's looking for the next 8 million now, and she's out there marketing. You never stop marketing. You, you've got to. Unless you're like a Richard Osman who has a head start because he's a national known figure. Um, that always surprises me, celebrity books. I actually think his books are very good. But... Loads of people have just gone out and bought that book because it's Richard Osman to start with before they even knew if he could write. It's yeah. always surprised me, but fair play to him. The guy can write. So. I mean, I bought it because I thought I knew Richard Osman. I just thought I want to see if he can write. Oh, yeah. Out of curiosity. And I, I wonder if there's quite a lot of people in think? that bracket I think as well. What do you think? I haven't finished it yet. Oh. And it's not, it's, it's well-polished. It's got all the ingredients of a cosy crime novel but i like things a bit quirky and a bit different so you should read mine they're really quirky <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that's a fair point but in terms of um you know you, your portfolio life and career and, and and switching you're very adaptable clearly um and we were talking earlier and um, as kindred spirits in the way that you know uh I'm yet to get the formal diagnosis of ADD in through the NHS, but I did it privately. Yeah. And having that mind that can make connections and see big pictures yeah. that other people just never see. And yeah. it, it's, it's a benefit and a curse. How do you feel about, you know, the way that you, your mind works? Do you know, a funny thing happened to me. All the time I was running that big business, I slept like a log every night. I only slept for five hours, six hours, but I slept. After I stopped, I started, I still slept, but I started clenching my teeth at night and uh, waking up all tensed and having all these problem solving dreams. And um, 
I had the weirdest dreams. I had a dream. I mean, I, I, I get on quite well with Vaseline Khan, I believe, it's a friend of the show, isn't it? Yes. And I had a dream where Vaseline Khan and I were stealing cars the other night. And we were being chased by a publishing head, house head. And because it was his jag with me, obviously the jag. And um, Vaseline was saying, don't worry, I've got a shotgun in the car. We'll take him out. And it, this hot, and I woke up and I was just absolutely wired. And what does that mean? <laughs> I just don't know what it means. But I have loads of dreams like that. They're not nightmares, but it's always something's happening. There's a problem. You've got to solve it. Yes. Yes. And I, I've got what? It's an unquiet brain. I think this ADHD is an unquiet brain. Because yeah. I, I've got 16 novels set out ready to go. I've got them all written. I, mean, I can't understand writer's block. I just, I just <laughs> got to get them written. Am I going to live long enough to write them? That's the question. It's because your brain doesn't know how to be quiet. It doesn't know well, how I, to I've taken up yoga now. Um, and I've, I'm also having acupuncture. So I don't know. It's, I'll try anything. I don't drink, so I can't drown it with alcohol. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and I, I tend to train in the gym late at night. I go to the gym every night at home. I've got a home gym and I go in there and uh, try and work off uh, some of this. But you can't switch that off, can you, Adrian? No, you no. can't. And do you know what? Funnily mm. enough, that dream that you had is very similar to the ones I was having last night. They were very vivid. They were full of, yeah, it was production. So a lot of it goes back to the BBC and I'm back in a situation where yeah. I go into a, I think, the situation was that I was working again on BBC Breakfast. I'm in the the, the director's gal- gallery, you know, with all the different people who do stuff to make sure it technically goes right. Yeah. And the news presenter crashes into the sports section and she doesn't know who's presenting it. And no one does. And I happen to just be in there, not because I'm working on sport anymore, but just because I'm there and I feel guilty. And, uh, you know, you've got the... Ollie Foster down one end of the line and he's going, well, it's not me. I've done my stint today and all this sort of thing. And it was just complete. These things did happen yeah. all oh, the time. Yeah. And I'm back in there. It was so vivid. Yeah. Um, and the next thing I was, I can't remember. It was some sort of, yeah, my car was getting stolen with all my gear in it. And it was all very vivid. Yeah. 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 You have what I would say are action dreams. Yes. There's yeah. a lot of action in them. Mm. I'm the same. I have action dreams. I do. Yeah. It's just never stops. But, it is kind of a superpower because I think that's where I got all my ideas from, mm. uh, all these characters floating around in my head from. So if you can just channel that that craziness that's going on in your head and then put it on the page or channel that unquiet energy in the right direction, mm. I mean, that's think why we were so successful in business because we could channel that energy in the right direction. And everybody always thinks that I'm the calmest person around, but it's all going on underneath the surface. <laughs> Yeah, well, you've, you've managed to 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 mask it. I mean, I I struggled to if things were really really the ships going down, I was quite good. But when yeah. it was sort of the low grade, sort of uh, dealing with people's sort of you know over small matters, anxieties about this and the other, I used to get. That's when I used to get vexed and and show it. Was thinking of a, you know this. <laughs> Of all the things to get worried about, you're worried about, you know, whether we're going to have tea and coffee in the in the office at the at such and such event. I mean, get real, you know. <laughs> there are people. I was always, I was very, I was very good at diffusing. I mean, I was, I won't tell you which major construction company, but we walked in, we were late on a deadline to manufacture some specialised standalone building panels for an eight-story building, and I walked in there, and the MD and the whole board were in there, and it's, they were just. 
I, and I could see it was an ambush when I walked in. I said, right, we are going to sue you for £200,000 liquidated damages a day on this project. And then it all went quiet. I said, uh, then I had a chance of a cup of tea and a biscuit then. <laughs> that just kind of broke the ice. And then we just worked out a programme and stuff and started living on it. It was just sometimes people have got to take that position and you've just got to try and find a way to take them off the step and then you can talk. You mm. know, and people take stances in life and whatever that stance is, if you can find a way to just, just step off, step to the side, and then they can approach each other. And life's like that, isn't it? It's a compromise all the time. And that's mm. why politics we've got now are like they are, because people are taking polar opposites and saying, that's where I live and die. And of course, none of us live and die there. We all die somewhere in the middle and live there. It's all grey and compromised life, isn't it? You're going to get it right. Well, that's an interesting thing you mentioned, because that's something I used to say to my millennial employees. (laughs) Don't get me started on them. Right. (laughs) But you because they were they the absolutists, black and white, you know, good and bad, all that sort of stuff. And and I used to try and and I'm sure now they've reached a a, a sort of age with kids and and mortgages and things like that, where they now see the gray. But they didn't when they were in their mid to late 20s. Uh, and it was really hard. And I would just say, look, just calm down. I know, appreciate the person you're working with hasn't quite delivered. You know, they've got there's certain things that the, the mitigating factors that you'll understand one time, you know, you yeah. know say it's a, a, a colleague who's got the menopause or something like that. Yeah. And so they're a bit scrambled. Um, and, it, you know, they just couldn't see it. Nah. They just could not see it. And I was just simply, and then they would say, yeah, but you're just demeaning because you, you're you're showing off that you're older and wiser and all this sort of stuff. And you're thinking, Hang on a second. No, no, no. I'm trying to appeal to your better judgment and just yeah. ask you to listen and appreciate what's around you. Oh, not I'm just passing on the benefits of my life experience. Yeah, they hate that. Yeah, because yeah, they, yeah, they think it's patronising, don't they? I was yeah. trying not to be, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a time when you used to respect your elders. They might not have been talking any sense, but you give them respect, don't you? Especially in a work situation. I remember when I worked at OUP and I was in my 20s and I used to love listening to the the, the people who'd been there for a while and had loads of knowledge and experience. And so, yeah, I don't quite understand that. I think the elderly are a source of so much knowledge uh, and fun. I mean, my mother was great. Um, She died back in February. She was 92. And I was writing a eulogy with her for the last few months. And... uh, she said to me, she said, I've just realised what my last words will be. It's very prescient of your mother. She just, I said, go on, then what is it? She said, Guy, what are you doing with that pillow? Fantastic. She said, do you remember my flasher? I said, what? I said, oh, God, yeah. It, when she was about late 40s, she was a dispensing chemist in, in Moseley in Birmingham. And she was driving to work one day, and there was a flasher in this lane exposing himself and mum being mum wound down the window and put that away nobody wants to see that went on to work thought about it I think I better phone the police so she phoned the police told them so that night I got home from work uh, from the golf club so I'm wearing terrible flares obviously and a, a checker shut and um, top and a dreadful 70s golfing clothes and there's a knock at the door and I go there and there's a plain clothes policeman and he shows me his badge she said um, is Mrs. Hale in? I said, oh, what's she done now? He said, I said, what do you mean? She said, just show him in, guys, said this voice from behind. I said, I take, take him in, into the dining room. He sits down with mum. So I rush into the kitchen, open the old serving hatch so I can listen. And he says, so Mrs. Hale, about this flash today. He said, oh, yes, yes. Said, what did he look like? And mum went, mm, he was quite big, and I think he was circumcised. 
And the bloke said, I meant his face, Mrs. Hale. He said, I didn't look at his face. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, old people were young once, weren't they? We all were. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. And and I think young people can just realise that early on. It makes life so much more interesting. Yeah. It's it really why, does. why I tell my boys stories about my youth and they can't believe it it's like i remember once i told them i, I used to get detention and they did just they were horrified that i got really? detention at secondary school for things yeah. like you, but you're telling us to behave all the time yeah we well, still as i do not as i say isn't it yeah. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> totally totally so i mean um we get to this point where you know in lockdown and you've decided you know you've got the resources behind you um to to turn the dream into a reality in terms of writing idea is not a problem which often are for people but what about the, the practice of actually writing killing me softly and, and the rest of the jimmy wayne series well basically i i thought right i want this done and dusted um in six months so i just thought okay program I, I cycle most days so i cycle in the morning get back have a shower and then i'll sit down and write three hours i, I do two thousand words every day and um, so the first draft was about 110,000 words. I went through the second draft, and the way I found the best way to do a second and third draft is to read it as if you're narrating it for an audio. Yep. And anything that's slightly clunky then just scans out like a sore thumb. Absolutely. And best advice ever. We tell our authors all to do that. Yeah, and, and the first draft is if it's flowing, just chuck it all against the wall because ideas are what it's all about you can hone it you've got to get it down first you can't edit something that's not written so just if it's flowing throw it up against the wall and then you'll check that out in the second draft and then i'll lose about twelve thousand words the first one ninety-eight thousand. but i mean the idea for it if i can just backtrack mike zito who's a very well known artist in the blues world in europe and in america he and i started gulf coast records um about four four and a half years ago and um, we were over We'd made a, a record in Texas. We'd then gone up and made one in LA at Graceland. And we were sitting in a bar in LA in January 2020, just before COVID really started. And um, he was telling me that he used to play in this third-rate casino in Nevada. He was just starting out. He was a recovering alcoholic. And his little cabaret stage was between the pole dancing strippers and the one-armed bandits. So he got no attention. And he thought, what can I do to get their attention? But nobody's interested in the gambling or watching the ladies. And he said, I had a dream the one night that I murdered somebody. And when I woke up in the morning, there was this terrific song there. And I said, Mike, that's a book. That's a trilogy. I, I can, he said, well, I'm not a writer. You write it. I said, well, I'm a songwriter. Yeah, I could write that. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll write, I'll write it. And I, straight away, I said, it's two trilogies. That's how I see it. And I said, well, every time I kill somebody, Jimmy kills somebody and writes the song, I will write the song and then we will record it and do a soundtrack album, uh, which we did. And then in this third book I've just written, Wendy, who is his dead girlfriend, takes him to meet his hero in Pierre Lachaise um, Cemetery in Paris, Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison, they yeah. Have a, they have a night out on the town with Jim Morrison. Oscar Wilde comes along until uh, <laughs> PF starts throwing up and just causing all kinds of problems so uh, but jim said i've got this whole new album of songs that i've written since i died do you want them he said, god yeah i'd love to do them so he said i'll send them to you tonight so when he wakes up in the morning he's written all the songs there 
he sent them through. And uh, so the next album Mike and I are going to make is for the, the soundtrack for the second series, which will be um, Jimmy Wayne Does the Doors. So, <laughs> Brilliant. Wowzers. And I've written four of those songs already, so just getting them. I've got a studio we built down the bottom of the uh, paddock. So, yeah. So and when Mike comes over in October, we'll uh, record it there. So. So that's what? quite an original idea, isn't it? Sort of blending music and fiction. Well, well the idea original. was that it was organic the way the story happened. And um, when I was thinking, well, I might as well write these songs. I'm a songwriter. I might as well write them. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if people were reading the book and they could just have it downloaded to the phone and hear the song as it occurs in the... In the... So that's not quite how it's occurred, um, but that was the idea. But... Uh, we, a lot of soundtrack went out, but we're having a proper launch in America next month because I've organised a book tour for all three books in America uh, in corresponding weeks and months. And the record is being launched through my record label in uh, the States. And because all our records get with probably the number, you're obviously aware of Alligator, I'm assuming, are you, Adrian? Mm, yeah. yeah. So we are number two to Alligator now. We're pushing them. We picked up uh, 12 BMA Blues Awards in Memphis in the last three years. So we're right up there. Blimey. And um, the idea is that we, I use all my PR people. And if I can get like 15, 20 personal interviews on the big radio stations and small TV, I'll go over there and do a tour for the book because I'm targeting that music audience who loves Mike Zito, who loves Gold Coast Records, who loves the blues. But here's a book written, yeah. it's a crime thriller, where it's written around the music you love. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a, a USP to try and get your own little niche in the market, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's it's brilliant, and and um, thank you for bringing you know bringing my attention to Mike Zito because I was just listening to Voodoo Child from one of his albums, and uh, that you uh, oh uh, from the top, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm a massive Jimi Hendrix fan, and I love anybody who does Voodoo Child because it it, yeah. it is a, it's kind of a standard. Um, yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah, made made something you know, and and I'm listening to Mike, and I'm thinking, yeah, Stevie lives. You know, it's kind of yeah. Well, you know, he knew Stevie, um, yeah. you know, and he's, a, he's been around a while, Mike, and he's really good. And he's, he's just starting to get the attention he deserves. I mean, he's working with Joe Bonamassa a lot now. Oh, wow. Uh, Joe produced the, the latest album for the Blood Brothers with uh, Mike and Albert Castiglia. So, and Albert Castiglia uh, makes an appearance in book two, but as um, an agent who drives around in a Hummer, which is far too big for him. So, you know, to fall out every time he gets out so <laughs> it's it's a very rich world that you're 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 tapping into there i mean you know oh, the yeah. fact that you're actually a brit in the middle of it as well yeah, um, yeah. you know it's it, as a person it that is fascinating so you know it must be a case of when you're writing these things what do you leave out because you i bet some of the stories and the things that you get involved in when you're with interacting with these artists and running a label yeah. are probably weirder than the things you can put in the book Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm being very safe. <laughs> it's actually been very funny because I wrote it with the language that musicians would use, apart from the C word. You can't, can never put that one in print for me. Uh, you can, but I couldn't do it. Um, and the new series I'm writing... Can't. Sorry? <laughs> I, just, I just can't do it. It must be my age or something. Yeah, but, I think to older people it's... Well, yeah. I mean, I think you know, if you're aiming at a, a predominantly American audience, oh, they don't like it. There's no, no. way you can put it in. No, no, no. way. They don't like I, cats, do they? In America, I put it. I put a bit of my rabid atheism in there, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the new series I'm writing now 
I'm, it's not cosy, but I thought because there's so many literary references in there and you could get use it for kids to learn about Shakespeare indirectly in a funny way, um, I thought, let's not put any swearing in there. There's the odd bloody and a soddy, but there's nothing else. So I thought, open myself up to a bigger market. I took the tactical decision to uh, write it as robustly as I could, but without using any foul language, so, which has been an interesting <laughs> Absolutely. But in, in terms of the, 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 you know, the taking those books through the musical journey, the places that you know, yeah. the locations, the, the, the rich history, the fact there are still clubs across America, it's, mm. it's, it's so different from what's happening over here where there's hardly anywhere to play. Yeah. Um, you know, that, it, it's, it's so appealing. I, I, I'm actually, you've sent us the books very, very kindly. And I, I, because of the backlog of stuff that we have to read for Hobart, oh, I've never got to them. But I'm going to get to them now because sure they are. They're on, in our bedroom because that's where we read. So we're more likely to pick them up and go, oh, let's have a look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it's funny, actually, because I, was, I read the first one again the other, the other day. And it's, it's me saying this. It is good. But my writing has stepped up and up and up. It's like if you do something regularly and you're paying attention, you do get better. Yeah. Um, I said, well, should I go back and just tune it a little bit more? No, it just shows a progression. As it, leave it as it is. It's still good. Mm. Uh, I've had some great reviews on it as it is, but you can just see it. You know what? I could have done that a bit better there. I always hadn't used that phrase there. Oh, I could have taken that bit. So, but you've got to show the evolution of a writer as well, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, working. Vasim, was it Vasim? Who's, mm-hmm. No, or Abir. It might be an Abir Mukherjee who said, you can't bear to read his first book because he's too scared yeah. in case he doesn't like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Abir yeah, who said that. He's got, he's got so much better over time. But I think that's, you know, that's an interesting thing. Is it, Let's take it back to the music then. When you're learning to be a songwriter and you're adding to your theory and, and being able to come up with an idea. I mean, I'm still at the stage where it's, if it sounds right, I'll put it together. I'm yeah. not really a songwriter, but... Um, I've never had the tension span to actually learn the theory. I kind of yeah. got a feel for things, but I haven't really mastered that. Um, but I suppose that, it, you know, it, it, writing is a very similar thing that, you, you know, you know what feels right, but actually being able to have enough technique to know what you're doing, to know how to improve it. That's a different, that's where things. That's cross interesting over, you know, to difficult. say that because, I'm a rubbish guitarist and I was an average cello player. I used to be able to read music and play a bit of clarinet and stuff and I blues harp, but I'm not really strong on the theory. I mean, I will write a song with the lyrics and I will just write the words. And then if somebody likes the words, I will, I said, well, send me a tune and then I'll adapt it to fit the tune. I know where the bridge is. I know where we want to have the hook. Um, and that's harder. When you've got to say, it's, I get lots of people send me a tune. Can you put me some lyrics to this? I'd like it to be a sad song, or I want this to be an aggressive song. And okay, well, you've sent me the wrong music for an aggressive song, so I'm going to have to do something really subtle and dark with this. But I do that a lot still. Um, just got a facility for you. I think you just—it's a bit like poetry writing a song, you know. Mm. Um, it's a different—it's a different um, skill. But you know, I've got about forty published now, so I'm doing all right. But. Uh, Unfortunately, none of them by Tank Swift. <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. But no. if you're listening, Taylor, just, just no. email us and we'll put I'm sure she out. listens to the Hobcast podcast. <laughs> She'd be, she, it would be rude not to, really. Well, I mean, the thing is, even if we wrote her a handwritten note, there's no chance that she'd come on the podcast. If she's not prepared to do Megan's, 
with a handwritten no. note. We're better than Megan. I think that's that's one of my favourite stories of last week is that Taylor Swift's gone way up in my estimation that even a handwritten note from the Duchess of Sussex <laughs> was not enough to get her on the Archetypes podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm feeling a little bit ambivalent towards um, that couple, to be honest with you, because, you know, when you have a silver spoon shoved in your mouth and then you decide to spit it out because you don't want it, but you still want all the benefits of it and you still want your children to be princes and princesses, there's a bit of hypocrisy in there, I think, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a constituency that listen to the podcast know that that's our well certainly my view. Yeah, I, I, I you're a little you're a little bit more agnostic about yeah, it, but yeah, yeah, I'm agnostic. I mean, I, I'm one of these people. I quite like Prince Charles for the simple reason he was way ahead of the curve on green issues. Prince's Trust did a lot of great work and still doing great work with young kids from underprivileged backgrounds as well as privileged backgrounds, and he was way ahead of the uh, the architectural stuff you know, and some of the bloody awful buildings we've built i've built being part of and i've said the opposite what are you thinking with this it's horrible because uh, i think aesthetics are important as well you know because these things are going to be up there for hundreds of years hopefully and we're building carbon course but there you go and I, so I, i've got a lot of time for him but privilege by birth i'm not so sure it's uh, you've got to earn that right i mean you can inherit from your kids or your kids can inherit from you but I'm not sure if I'm comfortable. I, I, if I ever met Prince Charles, I'm not sure I could, could, I could do the old bowing and scraping bit. I'd just shake, look him in the eye and shake him by the hand and treat him as a fellow human being. You know? mm, so. That's the same as me, yeah. Mm. I, I think like that. Well, I mean, you know, I have had the occasion when I've rubbed shoulders with the royals. He's been to the toilet in Buckingham Palace. Yeah. Is okay. he really? Yeah. Make a toilet roll, I The Queen's throne. <laughs> one, of, one of her many thrones. That's on the throne of Buckingham Palace. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, it's a long story, and I think I've told it on the show. But, I know, but, but uh, <laughs> it's the only time I've ever felt that the toilet paper was better than the finest linen. Really? I mean, it, was, it was extraordinary. You know, it's not the sort of thing you'd put down the cistern, otherwise it, the whole thing would back up. But um, it was, yeah, I mean, I have met Prince Charles, and it is, you, once you get through that initial formality, he is a very informal person. He is a very relatable yes. kind of guy. Um, whereas I think Harry, Harry to a point was, but has lost that side of his soul because he's surrounded by people for whom you know mm. hiding behind gates and having a security detail with your every move in la is the way f- that people behave you know well i can't it's only an opinion because i don't know megan never met her so it's unfair to judge her but my feeling is that she thought she was going to be like princess grace of monaco when she came here and then she suddenly discovered, actually, there's a pecking order and I'm way down it. Yeah. And then I think when she realised, oh, I've got this wrong, I'm not going to be Princess Grace of Monaco. I think that's when the problem started, really. Uh, the expectations couldn't be lived up to. So. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Yeah. I think, yeah, there is a hierarchy and that, that, that's very true. And it, it plays out every day and in in they, they curtsy to each other and all this sort of I mean, stuff. Hopefully, at some stage, it will come to a head and Harry will lead an army into battle against William. And it'll be amazing, won't it? With the, the kings leading their troops into battle on Wimbledon Common. You know, yeah. television, well, won't it? There's a book in that, definitely. Yeah. Um, just, let's, I, let's about, I thought, oh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just thinking, yeah, you could do that. Um, in terms of um, your experience of running the, then the, the, the record company and, and now applying that sort of thing to the book market what what similarities do you see i mean we talked about artist management or author management um 
and I I was very taken by your your description of you know authors have to really recognize that their public profile is in their hands it's it's no one else's job to promote them yeah uh, well my my pr lady uh, laura uh, laura lee who's worked for all the major publishing houses still does she told me that middle east authors authors that are on all the shelves uh quite often they'll get a day pr on the week of the launch a day maybe two if you're lucky uh, so yeah, it's really up to you. That's why great authors like Avir and Vasim and people like that, they are at events all the time, on panels all the time, doing signings all the time, doing talks all the time, because that's how you raise your profile and that's how you sell your books. Uh, you have to be, a, you are part of the publicity machine, an integral part, because if people like you or think you're interesting, they'll take a chance on your book. And you've got to show to the bookshops that you're somebody who's out there and is going to be promoting the books that you are asking them to stock with their money. Um, there's a symbiosis of that relationship. And unless you understand that commercial side as a writer, you're just doing it as a vanity product project. You have to. And like if your publisher is going to invest in you, it's your duty to make sure you give them a return or give that book the best possible chance. You should be talking about that book every day somewhere, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, I've just taken out um, two months' worth of adverts on uh, BookBub, um, uh, Bargain Booksy in the States, Bargain Booksy in Germany, BookBub in Germany, Facebook. You've just got to do it. It's as simple mm. as that. You know, it's a win-win situation, isn't it? Both sides win. So. Doesn't matter if you've written the best book in the world, if nobody ever sees it or hears about it, they're not going to buy it because people will go to their default big names because they're going to spend £9.95 of their personal money in Waterstones or whatever bookshop they're in. Am I going to spend that on somebody I've never heard of? Probably not. No. Heard of me, if you've heard, you might have heard me talking on the podcast or, you know, on (laughs) Chili Writers or wherever or you've seen an advert, or you've heard me talking on Twitter, and I was quite amusing, or on a panel somewhere, there's a chance you'll go and buy it. And then it's word of mouth. I mean, I go around and do talks to small book clubs of 10 and 15 people. Mm. And I'll, you know, I'll let them have the books at a discount to make it easy for them to take that book on. Mm. Yeah, because it's just, it's a, it's, I like to think of myself as an uncurable virus. If I spread <laughs> it out enough, it'll just keep going. You know? <laughs> there's no cure. I love that. Yeah, I'm... and like you were saying about word of mouth, so even those little venues, yeah. they read it and they'll say to their mother, sister, best friend, I've got this book, it's great. Yeah. I had a lovely one, uh, the village shop where I do some of my writing in Bishampton. I'm the writer in residence there now. And Paul, <laughs> Paul the, the shop owner, has shifted over 500 books through this coffee shop, which is why I'm in two or three other coffee shops now, I found, that I knew the owners and because you're not, you're not competing with any other books there. So people are going there for a coffee. Oh, who's that? Oh, it's a local writer. Yeah. So um, this old girl came in and she said, oh, she said, are you the writer? I said, yes. Oh, could you sign these books? Said, yeah, so she got all three. So I was signing them. She said, oh, they're lovely. She said, could I have more sex in the next one, please? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So Brilliant. You can never tell. You just can never tell. No, bizarre, you know. Oh, that's, that's inspirational. And um, in terms of then... You know how long it takes to break an artist and indeed yourself as an author. So 
but you you were also conscious of time running out in a way of wanting to get books written yeah so well, I, I, how do you sorry. set yourself goals in terms of 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 sales and and pen, you know penetration into the market and, and recognition right well i've only been going a year so i'm in 24 independent bookshops i'm in foils i'm in 11 waterstones um i'm in Barnes and Noble in the States, and now I'm obviously on a lot of the uh, online media salespeople. So I'm in five coffee shops in Worcestershire. So, and I've got my own website now. And again, I'm going to work on building that up with a newsletter and trying to do direct sales if I can as well, um, build a relationship. Because building your email list, those people, they, they follow you and they like what you do. And we found this in the music industry, like Mike's got 20,000 people on his subscribers list. And when he puts a pre-order out for a new CD, quite often gets 10,000 pre-orders. Well, that's mm -hmm. making, yeah. But those, if somebody is a fan of your writing or your music, they're a fan. And they will buy most of the stuff you do when you do it, unless you do something badly, because they're fans. And they'll come and see you if you're performing in the area or you're doing a talk in the area. because we follow people we like, don't we? It's mm. probably, you know, that's why all these old acts are still going around from the 70s and the 80s doing gigs because people <laughs> are fans. You build a community and then you must look after that community. And the only place you own, um, we all do loads on Twitter, but the only place you own is your website. Everything else could disappear tomorrow. So you have to build up a website presence and you have to bring as many people to that and then look after them, you know. Yeah, well mm. said, well said. Look, uh, Guy, it's, it's, it's been a brilliant chat and we've really enjoyed I've this, really but enjoyed uh, you know what's coming. Rebecca's <laughs> question. Yes, indeed, Rebecca's random question. You know how you can win like a year's supply of blah, whatever it is. What would be your choice of a year's supply of to win? That's a great, that's a great question. And I'm trying to be, should I answer this selfishly or altruistically? Both. Do both. So altruistically, I'd like to try and get a year's supply of common sense for all the politicians <laughs> in the world. Because there's a solution to every problem out there. But people don't seem to be looking at the obvious. They seem to say, well, what do I think from my right wing or my left wing position? And that's not the answer to the problem. It's really not. So that's that one. Um, a year's supply of blood. I would like to get everybody a year's supply in the world of my books. <laughs> but then you wouldn't make any money because it's free. I don't care. Oh, good, good. I, I think, look at the bigger picture. If everybody's got a year's supply of my books, I think, conceitedly, that at least 35% of them will like them and then I'll buy the next series, which they'll have to pay for. I've just made a load of fans. <laughs> so that's me it's thinking my... you'd say beer or wine or cheese or chocolate. I'm, a or... I'm tea total. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> chocolate then. <laughs> so with my active mind, if I had alcohol to it, I'd just have sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, so what would yours be? A year's supply of concentration. You're on tap. Yeah, but you must be able to concentrate, Adrian, because you did that 38-hour epic thing. Didn't you? Yeah. I mean, that is seriously hard to do. I mean, I've <laughs> narrated some stuff in the past, and 
I don't know how you did that, mate. That's on the right. Yeah, when someone's looming over him with a deadline, he does it. Yeah, yeah that, that's the thing. Or well, maybe if I had a portable deadline, that that made me made me concentrate. That you know, yeah. but it's it's this thing as you recognise you, you have ADD and it's been with you all your life and it's been the explanation and, and factor that has given you so many issues as well as positives yeah but you know basically everything that has kind of cocked up in my life whether it be at school or in relationships or at work has been down to that actually and not recognizing it just thinking that i'm a bit weird or you know a bit different from 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 your average and you know being told at school all your life if he pulls his finger out he'll do really well yeah if he pulls his finger you know he's very bright but he just doesn't apply himself that that was my school report Right. Yeah. yeah. Did they also say good contributor in class? Did they say that as well? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I mean, I used to contribute to class, but with the weirdest shit that anyone had ever heard. Yeah, you know, you get the silence, don't you? The the impulsive <laughs> the impulsive mad thought that would come out of my gob uh, at an all boys school in Cambridge, uh, and the just the the silence, mainly because it was left wing. Oh um, really? Yeah. You know, slightly left wing, or you know, not not a conceited sort of, uh, you know, Thatcherite thought, which was the, I was, you know, it was, I was yeah. at school during the Thatcher years, you know. Yeah, but so was I, but all the teachers were complete lefties. No, no, school. but at my school. Were you in, were you in the uh, a secondary system then? I suppose you were grammar school girl, were you a comprehensive girl? Me, no, it was a bog standard comp. <laughs> yeah, I went to a secondary school, but I was, when I used to do interviews in the old days for jobs, um, they said, where were you educated? I said, oh, Cambridge. Oh, very good. Uh, yeah, I was Cherry Hinton uh, Primary School for five months while my mother was having a, a serious kidney operation because my grandparents Cambridge. <laughs> happened to be in so Cambridge. That, that was just around the corner from where I lived in Hills Road. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they used to live in Hobart Road. Oh right, right okay, yeah. yeah well, Hobart. Yeah. Oh, is there a connection? Well, Hobart Road. <laughs> we go. I shouldn't say this. On, and we used to go past it and and people used to say oh you you know hobart road that's the roughest road in town it really wasn't no no but i mean you but know, my it, grandma and granddad had the only house which didn't have a green door because they bought it from the council way before that was fashionable because he was a top line engine driver but yeah so no i mean i i at school I think you're too young to go to school because you haven't got the discipline to learn, have you, really? It's just no, it's, true. it's the wrong way around, isn't it? Yeah, why do we force children to sit still for so I long? I met my old headmaster about uh, four or five years ago, and he said on my report, very pressing, great teacher, he said, I think I will be successful. I don't know how, but I think he will be. <laughs> and then he met me, and I was just selling the company at the time, and it's just... So tell me about your company. I said, well, we're in two continents and we do about 35 million a year. He said, I always thought you'd do something with yourself, Guy. And uh, he obviously knew more than I did at the time. <laughs> mm. yeah. Can I ask you one question? By yes. all means, yeah. Why bendy legs? Ah. ah. <laughs> so just to explain, everybody, Rebecca is known as Becky Bendy Legs on email and indeed on, on Twitter. Website, yeah. Yes, my website. Um, it's because I've always been able to sit uh, on the floor uh, with my legs either side. Wow. And I actually would choose to sit like that rather than in a chair. I don't like chairs. God, I'd need surgery after that. <laughs> yeah. When I was at university, my, one of my housemates nicknamed me Becky Bendy Legs. And, and it's it. stuck. Yeah. And you can I can still, still do sit it. like that. Impressive. <laughs>
Well, I've got, a, I've got an artificial knee courtesy of my rugby playing days, so I can't do that anymore. So. Never could, never will. No, no, no. <laughs> we, we're very different in that way because you're not not flexible, whereas I can do all sorts. I think we'll close it there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We haven't found out what your year supply would be. Oh, my year supply, pickled cabbage, obviously. Oh, of course. So, yeah. yeah, you two had something really sort of interesting and abstract, and I picked pickled cabbage. See, I can't eat pickled stuff now because I red wine gave me up about six years ago. I didn't drink much anyway. And then chilies did, and then pickles. Acid reflux. So, and I think I that's find all. it helps acid reflux, weirdly, because yeah, really? I get acid reflux. But right. Since I've started eating pickles for lunch, it's gone. Your your digestive system is great, but you're less fun to be around there. <laughs> is that right eh? about right yeah absolutely <laughs> tagline <laughs> yeah your, your bendy legs come in useful no it's fantastic guy it's been an absolute pleasure it's really been a great great oh, fun really chat enjoyed. it's lovely to finally meet you both uh, and in terms of uh, finding you online I mean you know loads of places in terms yeah. of the www.guyhale.com fantastic well that's going to provoke some debate that interview I think absolutely and he, he handled my random question very well. Although both of you gave some quite sort of philanthropic... Philanthropic answers. That's what I'm trying to say, yeah. Yes, I know that's what you're trying to say. I think the world has understood what you're trying to say. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good I, job. Well, yeah, it, yeah I, I, it's funny. This week I've been battling along with the Greek philosophy book that I'm narrating. And I am stumbling into words, not just the Greek ones, which are tough enough as you can imagine but in the english language i had no idea existed such as can you give i can't give you any uh, you'll have to wait till next week for me to what, give you some examples what's the word you said to me today that's like a sarcophagus uh, no that was um sarcophagus that's it that was a new one to me was it yes well it's it's an ancient word i thought you were talking about your throat no no that's the esophagus um no the sarcophagus we were talking about the fact that henry the eighth's sarcophagus that he commissioned before his death he'd ever got interred into he's under a a floor stone um slab of marble in the chapel royal at windsor st george's chapel rather i should say and uh and it ended up being the resting place of lord horatio nelson in well, st paul's I, I cathedral reckon, crypt i reckon henry VIII is really under stafford car park <laughs> could be could be I'm not sure he ever visited this neck of the woods but uh, well, actually, the reason we're talking about the Tudors, we went to Ludlow yesterday just out of curiosity because I hadn't appreciated just how important Ludlow Castle was in the history of the Tudors. Because Prince Arthur and uh, uh, Catherine of Aragon, when they were married, uh, lived there before Henry, before Arthur died and then Henry became king. And uh, Edward VI was also living there for a bit. Catherine of Aragon finished her days it's, there, and, and Princess Mary. I but, reckon there's loads of ghosts in Ludlow. Mm, it did feel spooky. It felt fantastic too. There's a wonderful bindery that we went to. Oh, the index bindery. The index called. bindery, yeah. Um, making amazing journals out of offcuts of, of paper from their sister uh, business. Yeah, from a book binders. That Brilliant. Based in Ludlow. So. Brilliant. Great anyway, idea. I digress. I digress. I was going to talk about AI. Go um, on then. I did promise. So. It's accelerating fast. The amount of AI influence on publishing is is huge. And obviously, a lot of people are jumping into chat GPT. But I tried a couple of services that I hadn't known of before. Um, Pseudo Write. 
I tried that. Now, I heard that on another podcast. Pseudowrite is the sort of version of ChatGPT designed for authors. Mm. And um, I, I showed you this last week, didn't I? I entered in just a few details of, oh, the, of, yeah. of my synopsis of the book I've been working on for umpteen years about a 1940 spy, la, la, la. And extraordinarily, when I put in 1940s London spy, name of the agent, his age, and, and the love, his, interest, and the love interest, it came up with a plot within about 15 seconds, which so closely mirrored the one that I've been writing. There was only one detail that was different, and that was based on the name of the love interest, which yes. was a French name. So. Yes, she had a French name, but it, it, it assumed that she was French, but it made the that's, inference. But that's the only difference from what you came out of your what came out of your head. Yeah, and I've been wrestling for years with. I and, know. and it took 15 seconds to come up with the plot. I mean, it's just staggering. Well, yeah. not the plot, the synopsis, the sort of... The blurb. Yeah, so the basic, yeah, yeah. So that's pseudo right. Um, I hadn't yet sort of signed up for it permanently, but I was absolutely staggered by that, uh, Mike's brief experience with it. And I, I'm not sure if I'm impressed or worried. Probably both. Uh, and the other thing I did was that um, we subscribed to Adobe and uh, all the suite of services they offer, on, and uh, we use that for editing this uh, podcast, for instance, and for licensing images, for book covers and things like that. They have a new program they're working on called Adobe Express, which Sounds is... Sounds like a train. Well, yes, it's, an, it's a form of AI image generation. And the new feature in that beta version of the program is that you can tap in uh, a, with a few words what you want. So you can choose the format of the image that you're going to create it can do all sorts of stylized art versions of it. And what I typed in was 1940s wartime searchlights over Hyde Park, London, uh, for one image. I tried say, that. That's not the one you showed me. And then I asked for a trope, which is woman turning away from camera in a red coat, walking towards a graveyard. And it came up with an amazing image, which looked like a, a book cover. I wouldn't have called it amazing, but it came up with an image. Yeah. But it came up with that image in 30 yeah, seconds flat. In, yeah, it was impressive, very impressive. Um, it just goes to show how influential AI is going to be. You could say it's going to be either a great tool or a threat to those of us within well, the publishing industry for doing different aspects of the work. I think it's going to be both. Yeah. To different people for different things. So, yes, I'd, I, if I was a... Um, graphic designer i might be a little bit concerned but don't worry our graphic designers who we work with we're not going to be do, doing that yet no 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 not uh, indeed so we we hinted we have a busy week in fact two weeks really uh, mm. of stuff what about next week's guest we're speaking to we're speaking to shortly. um a writer psychological thriller writer called alison stockham who uh publishes with boldwood oh right okay well we'll be interested if to tease out details of what Bold would do <laughs> because they have sold casquillions of books. Yeah, I think she's she's uh, one of those writers who's got interesting background in script and film and BBC mm. and all sorts of sort of creative endeavours. Yeah, so. yeah, fascinating. Okay, well, that would be terrific. We've got um, a myriad things in our diary this week, as we mentioned, and my next week, which includes my son's graduation, going to the Ashes. Oh, then Old Harrogate Trafford, at the end. And Harrogate at the very end of that week. And then going to the Open Championship on the Sunday of Harrogate. So, 
bonkers week. Bonkers week. But uh, we will enjoy all aspects of bonkers weeks. <laughs> I thought you could say something else then, but yes. <laughs> so it remains for me to say thank you so much for joining us. My name's been Adrian Hobart. And my name's still is Rebecca Collins. And uh, we would like to thank you so much for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts from. And uh, also go to our website, www.hobeck.net, where we have a cover reveal from this week. Yeah. And we have announcement a, uh, of a. Oh, yes, we have a new author yeah. we ought to mention. Stacey Murray. Stacey Murray joins us. Delighted to have her on board as well. So all those details are at our website. Uh, as I mentioned. So from myself, Adrian Hobart. And myself, Rebecca Collins. Thank you so much for joining us and have a wonderful and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.